Broadcasting live from the Phoenix Business Radio X studio in Tempe, Arizona, you are tuning in to Culture Crush with Kendra Maples. This podcast will dive into a variety of companies that are crushing it with a great company culture. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Culture Crush Business Podcast. On this podcast, we focus on everything surrounding businesses with a good company culture. We do a deep dive into companies that are crushing it with a great company culture, and we bring in resources that are out there to help provide some growth to companies so that they can have a thriving culture. Now, before we get started and I introduce our two lovely gentlemen that are connected to Des Moines, Iowa. I know you're ready to chat (laughs) about that. (laughs) Um, Before we jump into that, I do want to thank our sponsor. Um, Gateway Bank is a community bank in Arizona that specializes in serving small businesses across the valley and the country. We are so thankful to have them as a sponsor. When you work with Gateway, you don't have to call a 1-800 number for support or submit a loan application and then wait for months for an answer. You get fast personal service from the team who really knows you and cares about you as a person. So whether you need loan or banking services for your business, Gateway Bank is there to help. So visit gcbaz.com and then forward slash culture crush for details and a free consultation with bank president James Christensen, um, who is just an awesome rock star CEO. He'll probably have on Converse shoes when you have that conversation. So be ready for that. Now, let's jump into our guests today. Right before we came on, they found another piece that connects them, which I didn't even know. So our guests today in studio, we have J.W. Rayhans. He is the president and financial advisor of Ray Hans Financial, as well as the president of Joshua Development. Welcome. Yeah, thank you, Kendra. We're going to dive into all of those pieces. And then virtually coming in from Des Moines, we have Stephen Smith, the VP of People Analytics with Rework. Welcome. Hi, thank you. I am so stoked to have both of you on. I mentioned that I've had just beautiful, really in-depth conversations with both of you. And now I get to bring both of you together. You haven't met before. And right before we went on air, already there was a commonality with you guys and this connection with Des Moines. Mm -hmm. Stephen, that's where you are. But JW, you said that's where you're from? Yeah, I grew up in North Iowa, which is just a, a couple hours north of Des Moines. And so uh, anytime I meet someone from Iowa, I know that there's going to be a good connection. There'll be plenty of things that we can either talk about or make fun of, which that probably all wraps into culture, too. I love this. Yeah. We're we're talking <laughs> about culture and creating besties all in one episode together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so before we dive too much into Des Moines and culture and all of that, I do want to just really hear a little bit about each of you first so, Stephen, I'm going to start with you since you're coming in virtually. I want to hear just about you, what you're doing in Des Moines. I know mom's out there, too, with you. We've chatted about your mom, yep. my mom. <laughs> We've had yep. those chats. So tell us about you and the work that you're doing with culture and with rework. Sure, yeah. When we get into culture, I'm going to talk about self-disclosure and keeping each other uh, accountable. There's no S at the end of Des Moines. It's Des Moines. 
No, no S's. In Did I put part. an S? Yeah. Oh, yeah. everybody in the room yeah, is nodding silent. right now. <laughs> Am I the only I one sure that missed this? up in safe space, and we can talk to each other and and pick the food out of each other's guys. Seat. That's right. My, that's where my that's where my grandparents, the whole family, is from. There, <laughs> my nana is probably like rolling over in her grave right now. Yeah. Well, no, the good news, the, the good news is, Kendra, you didn't say Des Moines. Oh, so you, you, I was you, were, you were, you were, you were getting there. You were getting there. Des Moines. <laughs> oh my uh, goodness! I'm glad we're starting in a safe space here. That's right, we are. <laughs> so, ten thousand foot view. I was raised in a military family, so kind of moved everywhere growing up, which was really impactful for me. Understanding cultures in not a corporate climate, of course, just kind of moving around and seeing different environments. Went to school in Louisiana for industrial organizational psychology, which is kind of halfway understanding how people work and then half statistics. No one believes you if you have, don't have the data to support it, it doesn't seem like, for good reasons. Got my first job in Des Moines, Iowa, which is why I live here now. Did that for a few years and got out of the corporate game to be a part of a company called Rework. Rework is essentially an organizational MRI. We assess an organization with multiple facets, including culture to really understand holistic solutions. Here, I kind of run our analytics program. I help with product development uh, and certainly our strategy side. Uh, and we've been doing this for about 10 years now and, and growing and having fun and getting to meet cool people like y'all. So all aces here. Awesome. And when you say holistic solutions, when you're looking at culture and you're looking at all of the components and the pieces and you're finding the data and the metrics that go along with it, which I, I love that we can do that, right? Culture, I feel like in the past was very gray and fluffy and you couldn't always put data and metrics around it. And now we can, right? But when you are doing this and you're talking about these holistic solutions, what does that mean? So in the corporate gig, I started off like every other IO psych. I started in HR, right? You do HR analytics and you have engagement surveys and things like that. And then, oddly enough, I got switched to real estate because they wanted to build a new campus and we wanted some people analytics involved, which is super cool. Uh, and then I started to realize it was a very different world um, and that there was conflicting interests and that there was conflicting surveys and assessments and tools and, and indicators. At the end of the day, everybody had a solution that they're bringing to the top of the house. And the top of the house has to make some judgment on which one of these surveys do I listen to? Which one of these things do I prioritize? Because we weren't playing from the same sheet of music, so to speak. So when I saw those silos in real time as, as, a, as a young professional, it really gave me the idea of why are these systems not talking to each other? Before we got on this call, we were talking about, um, which we will, I'm sure, vibe. And if I think about my Louisiana days, it's all about jazz music, right? How do we play from not only the same sheet of music, but in the same rhythm with each other? And I don't think a lot of solutions do that. I'm not meaning like a vendor, but I don't think our businesses are great about being very fluid and holistic. We have our own cultures, we have our own leadership, we have our own strategies, and oftentimes they don't work well together, and it kind of gunks up the whole machine. So culture doesn't belong to HR. It's not just the workplace, which is a different workplace than it was five years ago. It's kind of everything at once, and if we're not fluid, we're not going to play a very good song, I guess. I am glad that you already started to put these thoughts in of culture being a rhythm and not falling under HR. And, and these pieces, because we are going to dive into that, JW, especially with how you started mm -hmm. and, and building your company, which then led to another company. Mm -hmm. A lot of that was from the culture, right? Yeah. So bef 
before we jump too far into that, JW, I want to hear a little bit about you, how you got started, and then how your second company started too. Okay. Well, thank you. Uh, appreciate the opportunity and really looking forward to the conversation that we're going to have together. As far as just from me personally, I did not grow up in a military family, but if you saw how often we moved, you'd probably think we were. <laughs> and so I grew up in uh, construction and farming and, and, and things were difficult many times. I mean, when I went to three different elementary schools, two different junior highs and three different high schools. And so that's why I say, I mean, it might look like yeah. we're a military family, but that wasn't the case. We did, uh, we did grow up knowing what it meant to work hard. And, and we grew up knowing what it meant. Some of this was small town, but we knew what it meant to, you know, be a person of your word, if you will. And that when you say you're going to do something, you need to do it and, and follow through. And for any of us, I think some of those ways that we grow up, they do start to influence the way we live out our lives. And, and so for me, what that meant was it led me to want to start and own my own business uh, right away. And so I actually started our first company, Ray Hans Financial, when I was still in my final semester of college. Mm -hmm. And it was primarily because I wanted to be in a position where we could truly help people. And also, um, you know, I saw a situation where my dad worked for many different companies and in construction, especially back then, you know, when there was, when there was work, they hired a bunch of people on. And when there wasn't work, they laid everybody off. And so, uh, I never wanted to be, I guess, you know, controlled by bigger organization and saying, here's when you can be a part of what we're doing and here's when you're not. And so that led me to start my own company. But as far as how that progression worked, it led to really wanting to help people live, create and live the lifestyle that they want. Mm -hmm. And so in many ways, you know, the, the, the culture that we create, I think, has a lot to do with our values. And so most of my perspective is probably going to come from, one, a small business owner, right? And so not even having an HR department, Stephen. So I've been <laughs> 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 many, many years, yeah, many, many years of being in business and not having an HR department and really understanding, you know, what does it mean to create the right environment for people to be able to thrive and, and strive and grow and strengthen. But having the opportunity to be a part of larger organizations through serving on boards. And that's where, when you mentioned the second company, Joshua Development, that's where that opportunity came from was I've been fortunate to do many things earlier in life than a lot of people. And one of them was serving on boards and getting to chair a board at an early age and having other executives um, ask me to help with their leadership teams. And that led to really performance training for executives. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the two companies come from. That's a little bit of background, but uh, I know we'll get into a lot of other things when it comes to culture, environment, performance, values, what it means to be a part of a vision and a mission and really create that and inspire a team around it. Yeah. So let's, let's get into it. <laughs> I want to start with, and Stephen, you kind of started to hint at it with culture being a, a rhythm, almost like music. I love the jazz example especially because jazz might have an outline and then they're going to go in, in unique directions, right? And so when it comes to culture, as we kind of start and open up this conversation, what in the world is culture? What is it? I know that I say many times that there is a culture whenever you put multiple people into a room, there's a culture. There's a culture with a team. There's a culture with a company. There's a culture with your family. People are getting ready to go have family holiday dinners, and they're all going to be different because of the people that are in that space. So culture is different 
depending on who you put in that space. But what is it? So I'll throw it to either one of you just to kind of kick us off in this conversation of what is culture? JW, you want to rock, paper, scissors? <laughs> I tell you what, you go ahead. You, you, go, I know. you go ahead and go first, Stephen, and then I'll, <laughs> I'll jump in here and there. But yeah, I'll let you lead. Well, obviously, such a tough answer. So many definitions out there right? <laughs> yes. to, to those things. I think the family situation's important to say. I don't believe companies are truly families. I think they can be uh, very close teammates and, and do anything for each other. Mm-hmm. But they both share a lot of similarities. I think the house you go to on Christmas changes the culture of that meal, right? If you're doing it at one fiance's house versus your grandma's house, that's going to change things. So space matters. Yes. The people that are there matters because they have different behaviors, right? They act differently. And you know, if you're on old Aunt Edna, probably the conversations and the cultures gonna be a little bit different this time than if it was just, you know, friends giving or friends miss like I'm going to have this year. Yeah. And then ultimately, like, I think the underlying basis of it all you know, not the artifacts, is that, you know, the unwritten rules, the the norms, the implicit assumptions and values that JW was mentioning. And those are the things that permeate in those, you know, artifacts and those behaviors and things. But I think it's more about those implicit norms that kind of rule the group and how to understand that and measure that we can go on with. But JW, slam dunk me. Yeah, no, I really appreciate the things that you shared there. In fact, I I might even say similar things. Maybe I'll just share them in a little bit different way. But when I first think of culture, I think of environment and chemistry. Mm. And so when it comes to environment and chemistry, and granted, a lot of times I'm coming from, you know, a sports background and building teams. And similar to what Stephen mentioned, you know, it's common for people to even describe the culture that we have at Rayhan's Financial and Joshua Development as a family. There's like this family feel. There's this, there's this family sense Mm -hmm. to our culture. And my thought on that is, is, is a different dynamics than, than say a family family, Mm -hmm. but it can have a family feel where like Stephen, where you mentioned the bond, right? The bond that people feel when they're in that environment that can have a family feel to it. But we often almost simultaneously refer to ourselves as a team Mm -hmm. because you know, they're, they're, the team dynamics is going to change based on different people in the room. So I guess if, if I'm trying to describe culture, I think of three things and and I'm going to basically kind of put it around kind of a business mindset, if you will. Mm -hmm. I think of three things. I think of there's a pursuit that's happening, right? So you've got this environment of there's a pursuit that's happening. There are people involved and and as the people change, the the culture, the feel, the chemistry needs to change. It, It will change. And then there's a set of values that everyone kind of agrees to live by. Mm-hmm. And so you've got this pursuit and you have the people that are involved and then you have a set of values that everyone agrees that's kind of who we are and what we're all about. Then from there, you've got these different feels of what the culture is, depending on how all of that is lived out on a daily basis with, with the people that are involved, with the team that's involved in, in whatever the organization does or what they're about. Mm-hmm. JW, you said... Sports, which obviously, you know, perked my ears. Uh, what are your background sports? What do you like? What do you, what do you rely on? What do you, what are your analogies about? Yeah, no, thank you for asking that. So I, I pretty much grew up playing basketball and baseball. Basketball has always been my love. Uh, God blessed me with a five, eight, uh, structure and frame. So it didn't lend me into the NBA and, uh, I was a pitcher in baseball too, believe it or not. And, and there's not, <laughs> that's another one that has to do with height. So apparently from an early age, I thought I was going to be tall and then that didn't happen. 
but that's okay. It was an outstanding experience. Got to be uh, competitive at a number of different levels. And so that's where a lot of it comes from. I absolutely love coaching basketball and have for a number of years, literally from the the year after I stopped playing uh, till today, I've coached youth basketball always in a volunteer capacity for a long time now. So well, that's mine. As I think of my three favorite books on culture, you know, one of them is, is what is it? Six rings by uh, Phil Jackson. Is it oh, six ele- rings? 11 rings. Nine rings, 11 rings, Jeez, 11 was, rings. Yeah. That's just the first, the first uh, go about it, but yeah. Maintaining that culture which changed to your point with those two different teams and two very different leaders and two different kind of point guards. And how do you maintain different, but still high performing cultures based on the players that you have was really interesting to me. So as you were talking about, I didn't know we were going to go into sports. That's a really cool or like hockey, right? I'm not a big hockey guy, but you know, you have all these lines and yeah, the teams on the ice will change a little bit, but you have that overarching framework that creates that culture. So as you're talking about kind of changing players in and out, I catch your background in the uh, basketball scene. Yeah. Well, and that's, you, you mentioned a great book too. Obviously Phil Jackson, hall of fame, legendary coach, uh, more championship rings with two different teams. And it reminds me of leadership. You, you know, when it comes to culture, I don't know that we can talk about culture without talking about leadership mm-hmm. because leadership is really going to drive, you know, what that culture looks like. And <laughs> even, you know, one of the things that Phil Jackson mentions in that book of 11 rings, one of his key principles was to focus on the spirit, not the scoreboard. And he he really was diligent and purposeful about focusing on the spirit of the team as opposed to the outcome of the games. And his belief was that if you focused on the spirit of the team, you'd know how to lead that team towards championships. And if you get a good sense of that spirit, then you also knew how to coach individual players to be a part of the overall chemistry of a championship level team. Yeah. When, when Kendra mentioned, you know, that the jazz, you have a, mm-hmm. it goes back to freedom within a framework to me. And if I think about culture, it has to be that. And to your point, like you talked about, like the fundamentals of the, of the, the, the triangle was set. But once you understood the fundamentals, he allowed and encouraged that kind of spontaneity off of those fundamentals, the autonomy to grow and to change things up and to, you know, play with what they're yeah, being able to take that spirit and allow that autonomy and flexibility based off of those fundamentals are huge, right? Yeah, that's why his triangle offense worked is because it allowed the players to move with the game, but within a framework. You know, you've mentioned jazz a couple of times. We, we're we going to have all kinds of fun with this conversation, I can already tell. So, Stephen, have, did you did you play any instruments? Like, is, is jazz something that you've been a part of playing or a jazz band or anything? Uh, not a jazz band. I, I'm a piano guy, but... Did a lot of time in Louisiana, still call mm-hmm. Louisiana home. So when we think about culture, for me, that's obviously something where you, you know, New Orleans and New York, you always know where you're at when you're in one of those two cities. So no, not a jazz band, but a lot of uh, jazz in my background. Yeah. 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 I have, a, I have a dream of playing saxophone someday. I played trumpet when I was a kid, but uh, always wanted to play saxophone. And there's just something about the sound of a saxophone that, just it just fits and it's just it that's what jazz is to me and i think it's outstanding that we're talking about rhythm when it in the same conversation with culture because there is a rhythm to culture and there's also you know even when i think about the improvisation that takes place in just you know when you you know when you're with a talented jazz band or jazz player when you can just tell they're improving and yet 
they're right on with every single person in that band. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it ties back into the sports thing mm-hmm. because all of those components factor into the culture, whether it's jazz, whether it's sports, whether it's a company. JW, you said earlier, right? The pursuit and the goal, right? If they know this is the ending goal, right? But then as we were talking about the book, you were talking about the spirit and not the scoreboard. So yes, they have a goal, but maybe the path that they take there is not a straight line. They get to improv a little bit and and all of those pieces factoring into the culture. And so with that, I want to I, I want to dive into a, a component of that, and it's the people piece, right? I've worked with a handful of companies that, you know, will be talking and they're like, I just continue to, to hire shitheads. <laughs> I just <laughs> con- continue to hire the wrong people. And it's like, well, are they really the wrong people? Or are they just not the right fit for this culture? You're talking about not being the the size, the figure for some of these sports, right? Sure. I'm not a musician. I think I played the recorder for about 15 minutes and was third over grade. Yeah. yeah, in third grade and <laughs> knew that was the extent of my musical career, right? And so the people in the right places and and fitting the right culture is such a huge piece. How do you do that? How do you identify that somebody is the right fit for your culture? How do you also accept if they're not? And and maybe when you're hiring, right, both of you, when you're hiring, maybe they said all the right things in the beginning and now they're there and you're like, ooh, maybe they're not the right fit. How do you identify and build your culture with the right people in the right seats? And then like I said, how do you accept that maybe they're not the right fit? And then what do you do next? I think the first thing I heard was, you know, how do I know someone's right for me? And like all things, like you need to know thyself first. And sometimes if we don't, we all think and feel so strongly, and that's a good thing that we know what we know and we feel what we feel, but there are things that we don't know that we don't know. So until I know what my soil is, I don't know what flowers are going to do well in it or not. I mean, I'd love to say once we know what we're working with, then we can hire and develop. You know, we can we can make this team work. Mm-hmm. But we also need to understand that we can't be everybody, you know, everything to everybody. Right. So before I even go about the conversation of how do I know someone's a good fit for my culture? Most people aren't truly measuring, understanding what their culture is. They're kind of just feeling it. And. I asked 10 of them, they'd all have 10 different opinions. And that's, that's a, that's a unstable ground to start planting in. So before I even get to the, how to, is a person a good fit? Do we know ourselves first? And if not, we need to go check, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For us, I'll share with you that for, we've always felt like team fit is just as important as skill set. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, you know, we're, we're a size organization where we can, we can do some things that larger organizations probably simply can't do just because part of our application process, part of our interviewing process is that applicant, if they're coming to the final stages, they'll do a team interview without me involved. So they'll, they'll go in, they'll meet with the whole team. They'll have a conversation. They can have an open dialogue. Our team knows they can ask whatever they want without my influence. And that person knows that they can ask our team anything they want without my influence. And that's just a part of our 
process when we're looking for the people that we believe are going to be the best fit. doesn't mean we're going to get it right every single time, Mm -hmm. but it certainly helps when you've got that other input because part of that comes from the fact, if I go back to values, our team is really, really clear on what our values are and what behaviors. So we, we literally have a definition. We have a clear definition of our vision, our mission, our values and behaviors And that's literally, I mean, we do a weekly team meeting. If we get into really talking about like, how do you keep a culture strong and really keep your pulse on the spirit of your team and things like that? It's because we put that stuff repetitively in front of our team on a regular basis. And we do a weekly team meeting every Monday afternoon. And in the packet for that meeting, the preparation, our values, our mission, vision, values, and behaviors is the first two pages every single week. And then the agenda or outline for the meeting is on page three. Mm -hmm. And so when we look at like fit and hiring and and interviewing, it's because we're clear about who we are and what we're looking for. And Stephen, I, I, I so appreciate that you mentioned that we can't be all things to all people, or we can't necessarily, you know, say that, yes, everyone is invited to be a part of our organization because there are going to be people that simply aren't to be a part of the organization. There's another organization out there that they're the right fit for, they're the right person for. And the other thing that I would include in that is, I I think you alluded to this a little bit, Stephen, is with regard uh, to like position, like what's the job that we're expecting them to do? Because yeah, they've got to have the skill set for that. So that, but to me, skill set's like the minimum requirement. Mm -hmm. It's just, okay, you've shown that you have the skills to do the job. Now let's see if you're really going to be and feel included and important and valuable in a team like ours. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we go when it comes to the right person. Yeah. And I I feel like it goes back to the sports thing, right? Mm -hmm. Is are you the right fit for that culture? And then also the skill set piece of, okay, can you actually be the quarterback? Can Mm -hmm. you actually be the the pitcher? Mm -hmm. There's that component of it too. And then like you said, JW, you don't have to be the fit for everybody. And Stephen, you said that too. Every company is going to be a little bit different. The type of company you're in, the industry you're in, the financial side that you're in, right? I had a conversation with a gentleman the other day. When I asked him what he did, he was very hesitant to tell me that he was in the financial space. And, mm. and he said, well, I don't really like leading with this because it's an industry that you know, not everyone's really a big fan of. And I said, well, that's not true. I know people that are in that industry and, and they encompass it from a very heartfelt perspective. Right. And so I'm just, I'm thinking, right. Industries are all different and they're going to have their own, their own piece, their own little style of culture on this. I think this is actually, as I'm rambling a little bit here. Mm -hmm. I think this is a good part. I do want to do a quick little blurb with our sponsor. And the reason Mm -hmm. why is because we're talking about culture fit. We're talking about industry fit. We're talking about who's the fit for your team. And I said something about James Christensen wearing Converse Mm -hmm. and you, you agreed. Do you know him as well? I do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's an outstanding guy and and leads a great organization at Gateway Bank. Yeah. So again, another culture that yeah, maybe there's this industry, but he has built this team in such a unique and beautiful way that is everybody the right fit for his team? No. 
but he has built a beautiful team. So with that tangent of mine, <laughs> we'll hear a little bit from the sponsor and then we'll jump back into this. Great. Remember when your banker knew you and cared about you? This experience still exists at Gateway Bank, the only community bank in Mesa, Arizona, serving customers Valley and nationwide. With Gateway, you get the fast personal service of a small bank with the convenience, security, and stability of a large one. Whether you need a loan or banking services for your business, they're here for you. Visit gcbaz.com slash culture crush for details and a free consultation with Gateway President James Christensen. Okay, so how we were talking about, you know, industries and fit and, and culture and not being the right fit for everybody. I want to dive in a little bit on this, JW, with you and the financial work that you do. Mm-hmm. One of the really beautiful things that you do when you're, we talked about this, mm-hmm. you're doing your intro meeting with somebody sure. and you don't even talk about the financial piece until the very, very end. You got it. You're digging into them, who they are, what their goals are, what makes them happy in life. Mm-hmm. And that, we talked about leadership earlier, right? Mm-hmm. That is culture. That's knowing your people. That's knowing what makes people happy. Why do they have this job to mm-hmm. get paid? What are they going to do with their money? And so I want to tap into what you do a little bit because I know that's going to bleed into this conversation beautifully about leadership and culture. Okay. Yeah. I'll be happy to. So so first, let me give you the standard disclosure right up front. <laughs> Anytime we start talking about money or yes. finances or investments, right? And so for any of you that are listening, just realize that we're having a conversation and, and there's no way for me to know your personal situation. So if any, if any money topic comes up, please don't, you know, figure that as, as advice to (laughs) you that are listening right now, but it does give us an opportunity to talk about culture because Mm -hmm. in the financial business, part of why we feel we exist is to actually help the industry be viewed as a profession that can be trusted. Mm -hmm. And so for a lot of people, the topic of money is a difficult one to have. And so interestingly enough, it, it, it's going to sound paradoxical, but the main reason that I wanted to start a financial planning and investment firm was to help people realize that money is not the real thing they want. Mm-hmm. That there's there's all these other things in their life that are so much more important to them than the money or than the finances or than the investment. And so you're right, in that very initial conversation that we have with anyone before they're ever a client, we really utilize the opportunity to have a conversation about what's important to them. What do they value in life? And through that, we will really spend about half of the conversation just on that alone. And not just the surface answers as they come in, but then asking more about that. Okay, well, why is that important? You know, when you hear the things like stability and comfort and peace of mind and less stress and, and family, and okay, why is your family important to you? Like, when was the last time somebody actually asked you, why is your family important to you? And then sat there and listened to the answer. Why is it important to be comfortable? And then somebody sat and listened to the answer. Mm -hmm. And so that leads us into then, okay, well, what are we going to focus on? And so that's where the goals come in. And we have a very specific way that we go about helping get real good, strong clarity on someone's goals. To the point of which we know their subconscious is going to already start working on, like, how do I make that happen? 
Okay. Because by the time we're done with that conversation, they're, they're already seeing it as if it's become real. And so then with the, like the last five minutes or so of our conversation, we'll go, okay, kind of help me understand where you're at today in, in financial terms, like just give me the high level. And then yeah, as their follow-up after that, absolutely. But the reasoning behind all that, and this is where it ties back to culture is because if everyone on our team is trained that way, guess what types of conversations they're having when even, you know, a client just calls in and has a random question. They're asking about, oh, how is your family? Mm -hmm. Are you feeling comfortable? What's your stress level been like? It's the holidays. Are you doing okay? You know, and so it's more of those kinds of conversations that's really just, it flows through the whole culture of our organization to create what everybody strives for is having a great client experience. I believe great client experience starts with the people in your organization. Mm -hmm. And if you can create a great experience for them, if you can create a great environment for them, if you can create a great culture for the people within your organization, guess what? They're going to deliver an exceptional client experience. And so is that kind of what you were looking for? It's like, it's exactly, it's the finance. I mean, (laughs) we utilize it in the financial business, but it it could be utilized in any business. It, it could be utilized in any business, any conversation, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, it allows people to have more in-depth, connected conversations. Mm-hmm. And then in this conversation of culture, right? And Steve, we talked about leadership a little bit in the beginning. If you have a leader that is asking those kinds of questions, not even your financial person asking yeah. those questions, but if you have a leader that's asking those kinds of questions, you're getting to know your people at a deeper level. Then in terms of big picture culture of a team, now you have that connection with your team. You know them beyond just, oh, Kendra has a dog and a mom. You you know deeper. You know why I do the things that I do. Um, the, the financial piece, what makes me happy, right? What what things do I love doing? If you can have those conversations with your team and then you're that much deeper with them, then in the terms of culture, right? If something happens and you start to see that maybe somebody's not delivering at the top capacity that they were before, well, instead of just jumping to, well, you're not, you're not reporting, right? You're not doing your sales like you were. It allows you as a leader to ask the questions deeper of really what's happening. And so that's why I really (laughs) wanted you to tell us a little bit about how you guys approach that because in culture and leadership and just working with people and Steven, I'm, I'm sure you're seeing this with the companies that you're working with or trying to influence this with the companies that you're working with, right? When you're talking with them, when you're doing these, when you're doing an analysis on their company and it's tying back to the leadership component and the connection piece. And do they feel like that is a safe space? Like this conversation and mm-hmm. how we started. <laughs> I'm almost Stephen. Can I ask you a question? Because here, here's yeah, something yeah. I'm really here's something I'm really curious about. Is you know we're talking about this word connection. Mm-hmm. What what are the some of the things that either you do in your own organization or with the the organizations that you work with to keep the connection amongst the team members strong or the employees mm-hmm. strong? What like whatever whatever word 
an organization uses for their team members or their employees or, or family, whatever that word they use, like, what are you noticing helps keep that connection strong between the people and the leadership, right? Where I they don't learn that from, there was a quote back in the day, like there's four ways to build good friendships and relationships. And the first one's proximity. And I think today's day and age, we're seeing hybrid, half my company's in the Netherlands and half of us here in the States. So proximity isn't always in the same office, right? Although I'm happy to say I get to Amsterdam often and that's fun. <laughs> but that proximity matters, right? That connection point, just the time and the opportunity to connect, even if there's nothing there. Because that starts to create the familiarity and the similarities between each other, you start to get into that deeper part you just mentioned, Kendra, past the surface level, you know, Facebook questions. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately, number four, you get to that self-disclosure where you can start to tell each other things like, you know, drop the S on moins and things like that. So <laughs> we started this, this conversation very space. safe today. We did. Uh, we did. So I think being purposeful and mindful about taking the time and energy and investment to keep connection and proximity because the rest of it will naturally flow. And it's really easy as we're going so hard and your heads are down and you're running on your own tasks and Lord knows you got another thing to do tomorrow. It's really easy to put the head down and, <laughs> and lose some of that connection, right? So make it the time and energy, man. You? Yeah. I appreciate you mentioning each one of those because I think this is one of the things that a lot of leaders and organizations struggle with right now is, oh, yeah. you know, you mentioned some people call it a new work environment. It's probably not as new as many people think that it is when you've got some that are hybrid workers and you have some people that are working in multiple offices. I mean, if we, if we take things old school, it's, 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 <laughs> it's not uncommon for there to be multiple sites of an organization and still have to draw a connection between all of those. And so now it might look a little different from time to time, but with many leaders that I've visited with, this is one of the areas where they're like, man, how do I just keep a strong connection with my people when some people are in, some people are out, some are working remote, some are hybrid, some are in the office on certain days, some are out of the office on other certain days. Interaction, I think, matters, especially when it comes to connection is, you know, how are we creating the opportunities for interaction amongst the people on our team? Because if there's regular interaction or there's consistent interaction, it gives the opportunity for them to have that bond. It gives the opportunity for ha them to look and see themselves beyond just the person I work with, you know, so they can have some of those other conversations and they can genuinely ask about their day and how things are going. And so I think about interactions when I think of connectivity. And I also think of what do leaders do to create an openness where, you know, it, it's okay to think of one another beyond just the person I see at work. Mm -hmm. So what's being done to create an, a, an open environment? We do some team book studies on our team. And so there's th certain things that we're studying together along the way and having dialogue and conversation about along the way. And a couple of them that we did this year, uh, so they're fresh in my, my mind is, you know, we did uh, the study with uh, Brene Brown's book, Dare to Lead. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, she's, she's known for talking about vulnerability and openness and being able to have rumbles or tough conversations, but do them in such a respectful and professional way that people can be uh, direct and you can still move through a conversation well. And another one that we did at the beginning of the year was Brendan Burchard's, you know, high performance habits. Mm -hmm. And um, that one where he talks about there's six habits. Well, there are some common things between both of those authors and both of their sets of research. One of them is clarity. Like, are we able to be, have clarity with one another? And clarity, I think, helps us with connection too. 
it's funny you mentioned that. My other two favorite books on culture, uh, <laughs> one is Team of Teams, which is a military yeah. book, yeah. the general yeah. uh, Stan McChrystal. The other one, very different about culture, is uh, Creativity, Inc., uh, mm-hmm. Ed Catmull, the guy who started Pixar. Mm-hmm. And the connection that both of them had in my mind as you were talking, you just made a light bulb, is that they both believe in the, the idea of red reports, right? Like, I'm going to make a, a rough draft. I'm going to create the plan for attack or whatever it might be for the next movie. And then I want people that have nothing to do with this project to come in and beat the crap out of it. Yeah. Just beat the crap out of it and find every little hole you can. And if you're not in a place where you can take that, the, the end outcome is almost certainly going to fail. And I think everything you said, I'm now seeing all four of those people be in line. So I think we got something going there. We do. The of the Red Reports, yeah. Yeah. Well, I even appreciate you bringing up that because how many, you know, how many of us, and again, going back to any of you that are listening, whether you're a leader in your organization or you're, you know, the person that say that, you know, is digging in every day. The thing about it is, is we all talk about the importance of feedback, but how many of us actually have an openness to all forms of feedback? You know, we love getting great feedback, right? We love the compliments. It makes us feel good. It makes us, it builds our confidence. And we see the value that we create when we get this positive feedback. How many of us give a similar open response when the feedback isn't as positive? And what kind of assumptions do we generally make Mm -hmm. about the other person who's giving us the feedback? I mean, what if, what if our default initial response was, wow, they must care about me. If they're willing to tell me that, they must care about me. How would our response change? How much more would we grow? How much more open would I be to the feedback that comes in? So when you mentioned a red, or, uh, you didn't say red team. Red reports. Red reports, thank you. I think of it as red team because I think in the military, they call them the red team, right? They'll develop, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, they'll develop <laughs> a mission, they'll put together the mission plan and, and then they'll have the red team come in, mm-hmm. <laughs> which always reminds me, you know, what, one of the things that sometimes leaders get frustrated with is when people ask a lot of questions because sometimes as leaders, we're like, you know, I just want to share the vision and you, you all figure it out. But then people come back with questions. And we're like, wait a second, why are you asking all these questions? <laughs> um, sometimes that's exactly the purpose of the red team is to ask tough questions and say, what does this mean? What about if this happens? What if that doesn't go exactly as planned? How are we going to adapt? And so it's almost like the, I, I, the, this isn't a direct quote from anybody in particular, but the answers are always in the questions. We've probably all heard that phrase, right? The answers are in the questions. And if you can ask great questions, then you're going to come up with great answers. Yeah. So I was taking notes while the two of you were chatting about these pieces. So JW, your initial question was around the connection piece, right? So It came up about clarity, time, energy, openness. I would love to add an extra one. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm asking. I'm a guest on your show right now. It's your show, Kendra. You can say whatever you want. It's not right now. I'm asking. (laughs) I want to add another one that's consistency. Mm. So my background back in the day was actually in animal behavior and training. One of the biggest pieces about working with animals, the same way about working with people, is there has to be consistency involved. You can't just go in, work with an animal, train it a couple of things, leave, and then come back a month later and assume that there's going to be a connection and that that animal is going to respond again. You have to continuously work at it. And so that consistency 
is a piece of all of this, right? As you're as you're talking about asking questions or giving the hard feedback, you can't just do it once because then they really are going to go, oh, well, JW just told me I suck. And, <laughs> you know, they're going to, it's, it's going to be taken differently than if there's consistency and these conversations are heartfelt and you're giving the positive and the, hey, also I've noticed this. Same thing, Stephen, when you're talking with your teams about the time and the energy. Again, you have to be continuous and consistent with it, especially, Stephen, with your team being remote and in different places. You can't just go out there, you know, once a year and be like, hey, guys, I'm here in person. Let's connect, right? It's It's got to be consistent. Have that regular visit to see them or those regular check-ins. I think is another really big piece of all of this that allows these these bonds and these these pieces of culture to build if you're doing it over and over again and you're not just stepping in one day like, hey, I'm going to be a really great leader today. I'm going to ask you what's important to you and how you feel. And then I'll chat with you next year on your annual check-in. Like that piece doesn't work. Yeah. Right? Yeah, consistency is a big one. Is there anything with the two of you on the consistency piece that you try and implement and do with your teams to kind of keep a regular basis check-in? Well, again, back to the military thing, my, my pops is a pilot and in pilot training, they always talk to him about a thing called the OODA loop, uh, which is what he taught me at a young age and what my company uses for ourselves and for the companies we work with. And it, and it stands for uh, the ability to observe orient, decide, and then act. You see something happening, you figure out what it means, you make a decision and you go. And my dad would always tell me that the pilot that won the dogfight was not the pilot that had the fastest plane or the best bombs or the even the best teammate behind them. The pilot that wins the dogfight is the one that can go through the OODA loop the most times the fastest. They can orient and you know be agile. And that's what I heard you know JW talk about a lot. So it's the same thing for us. It's if you're not having those routine and I guess now we're we're circling ourselves, which is a good thing. We're coming full circle. Mm-hmm. Uh, implementing a OODA loop and an actual feedback loop that is ongoing and part of the culture becomes the culture, right? And that's where the psychological safety, that's where the checkpoints that we've been talking about come in. So yeah, just creating a framework and call it an OODA loop or whatever you want to do it. But uh, yeah, I mean, frequent practice and immediate feedback, right? Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. And you said observe, orient, decide, act. And that, yeah, yes, ma'am. And go through it again. Learn and go through it again. Okay. Fast. JW, what about you? Well, now, Stephen, we're we're gonna stay connected even after all of this because not only Iowa, you know, man. we've we've <laughs> talked about Iowa, we've talked about sports, we've talked about, you know, military, and, and now we're talking about your dad being a pilot and and we gotta go into almost top gun at this point. You know, that's right. I know if we're, if we're going back to the very beginning of introductions. So as a kid, the first the first thing I wanted to be was a professional basketball player. The second thing I wanted to be was a fighter pilot. And then but the only thing is to be an NBA basketball player, I figured out later it's good to have height. And then to be a fighter pilot, they don't let blind guys fly planes. And so I was out on both from the beginning, you know, so if we go back to the feedback loop, right, in in a way, I guess those two stories do tie in a little bit is all of us are 
all of us are on a constant feedback loop, whether we realize it or not, mm -hmm. right? Because we're always intaking information and then we're making decisions based on that information. Just most of the time, we don't realize that's happening as rapidly as it is. And so those feedback loops, the way that, that, that we see that happening, not just in our organizations, but even others that I've had a, a chance to be a part of, you know, when you look at a board where the board seems to operate at a higher level, they seem to operate at a higher efficiency. They seem to be able to get more done. And then you might serve on another board and maybe even half the people are the same and the other half aren't, but that board just doesn't seem to operate as quickly or as fast. Mm -hmm. And so even in our own organizations, when we've got this feedback loop, it's almost one of the call it a success habit or one of the things that they do that allow them to work at the pace or the speed or the uh, effectiveness mm -hmm. is right back to what Steven shared with us that his dad taught him, which was that constant feedback where you are observing, you are seeing what's happening and you're deciding and then you're taking an action and then you're learning from the action that you took to say, okay, let's observe again and let's decide again and let's take another action. And so, I mean, when we think about it, that describes business because it's constantly changing. And so as we are able to do that as a team, you know, there's another book based off research that comes to mind. And I don't know if you've read this one or not, Stephen. It seems like we read all the same books now, but we really did not know each other before this conversation. <laughs> yeah. So Kendra, you, you really, I, I know, you, you really know what you're doing. <laughs> and my hope is that everyone listening, that you're actually getting some value out of this conversation. Cause I feel like it's Steven and I talking and we're really hoping that, you know, something of this matters to someone who's listening. But like yeah, yeah, that's right. If you like jazz or yeah. So trust factor. I don't know if you're familiar with that book, trust factor, but uh, trust within an organization is, usually going to determine the speed at which a team can function. And so in there, you know, they've got an assessment tool that they use that they call O-Factor. And it's got, you know, they use the acronym oxytocin. And, and each of the letters means something from oxytocin to determine the level of trust in an organization. Uh, but even as we're talking about this in terms of feedback and functioning and, and, and speed at which things can get accomplished, or even, you know, a vision that's so big like, how do you, how do you get a team to believe in a vision that's bigger than what they've ever done before? Mm -hmm. You know, because if we go back to culture and environment and Steven, I'm getting this sense from you, but my, 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 I guess my guess or my assumption is probably similar where you're at is you want to create an environment where people can be at their best. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I've, I've just always believed that someone's going to perform at their highest level when they're doing something that they love the majority of the time when it's within the scope of their strengths, within a skill set that they have, that they just enjoy being a part of. Mm -hmm. It's like if you could create an environment with those, those four components, people are going to perform at a really high level. And then for leadership, it's just a matter of making sure that you foster that environment as often as possible. And if that means repositioning someone or changing a position or changing up the responsibilities that someone has, then then that's up to the leader to be sure that that environment is constantly in that state or as much as possible consistently in that state mm -hmm. of putting people at their best. Yep. And JW, I think that is a beautiful way for us to start to wrap up this conversation. Wait, we're done already? Oh, I, I, <laughs> I hate to break it to you. I feel like we could— Stephen, let's just keep talking. We could... I mean— <laughs> We can. Kind of when they <laughs> we right. could, I know that this conversation 
that I was a guest on (laughs) could go on for absolutely ever. And both of you brought Beyond Your A-Games today. Karen, our producer and owner of the studio, and Stephanie from my team that's here, they have heard me say this a thousand times, but every one of these podcasts gets better and better and better. And you guys have set the bar very high. So I appreciate you for bringing me on as your guest today (laughs) to talk about about company culture. I think that was a beautiful way to wrap this up, though, is you're creating an environment where people are their best and can be their best. And leadership is involved in that. Openness is involved in that. Connection, consistency, all of the things that we've talked about. JW, yes, there is so much in here that people are going to take away. All of the books that you guys mentioned, we will tag all of that as well. There's so much meat in this conversation, and I do want it to go on forever. Although I know that people have to get to the holidays and pumpkin pie was my I'm thing sure I, they do. Yeah. I talked about. <laughs> so before we wrap this up and I read some final notes, I want to give both of you the moment, kind of give us whatever your final thought, your final, you know, hoorah statement takeaway from this conversation. And then after we do those, I do want each of you to be able to tell everyone how they can reach you too. Um, now that you guys have your show together. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yes. Stephen, what's your like last big hoorah takeaway nugget? I guess it's a knowing myself first, uh, not copying somebody else. Half the companies from good to great are now bankrupt or sold or gone. Mm. So got to know yourself. Uh, and then once you do that, include people on the, on the journey. It's not something that you're doing, but yes, yeah, all inclusive. I love that. Yeah. JW, what about you? Well, I mean, first, thank you. Really. I mean, truly, you're the one that helped facilitate this conversation to happen for Stephen and I to get to know each other and kind of take over the show. And so just thank you for the opportunity to just share this with your audience. And, and Stephen has been great to get to know you, Karen, Stephanie, thank you for really being behind the scenes, but really making this a production that will be valuable to others. And so with that, I guess I'd leave this thought. And if, if there is anyone listening that, that has gotten a chance to know me, they're, they're probably going to, guess on how I'll finish this out, but I I really believe that it's because it kind of sums it all up, which is when you look for the good in someone, you'll find it. When you look for the good in someone, you'll find it. And so to me, and I hope for anyone out there, if you're part of an organization, you are a leader. In other words, you are a valuable participant in the culture. You help shape the culture. It's not just who gets viewed as a leader that shapes that culture. Every person in an organization shapes the culture and and contributes to the culture. And so for, for anyone be thinking about like, how do I enhance the culture of my organization, regardless of the dynamics or the politics or whatever else is trying to get in the way, Mm -hmm. just ask yourself like that personal responsibility, right? Like what can I do to enhance the culture around here? What can I do to help others be at their best? And when you look for the good in someone, you'll find it. That's perfect. And as people are listening and they are like so excited for all these meaty little pieces and they're interested in following up and connecting with the two of you, 
Stephen, what is the best way for people to reach you? Uh, I'm a Smith, so finding me on LinkedIn is probably impossible. <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, rework.com. You can find me there, I'm sure. Beautiful. JW, what about you? Uh, similar. I may, I would probably say it's easiest to just direct people to either the rayhansfinancial.com website or the joshuadevelopment.com website that has our contact information. It has my personal contact information. Those would probably be the easiest, simplest ways to reach out. Beautiful. Yeah. And before I read some, some mm-hmm. parting notes, thank you genuinely again to the two of you. I am beyond excited for the conversation that we just finished and the conversations that we're going to have after this. Mm -hmm. So thank you. To everyone else, thank you for listening to another episode of the Culture Crush Business Podcast. Culture Crush Business is your hub for company culture resources. With deep cultural insights and years of expertise, we evaluate your company's needs and connect you with the precise resources to cultivate a thriving culture. Those resources could actually Mm -hmm. be these two gentlemen you heard from today. And one last thing I do want to make sure we thank again our amazing sponsor, Gateway Bank. It has been so amazing to partner with them and with the very culture-focused CEO, James Christensen. Gateway Bank partnered with Culture Crash Business because they believe in hiring the best people and building the best company culture for them, for the people, like you said, JW, for, for them, so they can deliver the best experience for everyone else. So whether you need a loan or banking services for your business, Gateway is there to help. Visit gcbaz.com forward slash culture crush for details and a free consultation with bank president James Christensen. All loans subject to approval. Member FDIC. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Culture Crush, the only podcast out there that does a deep dive of companies that are crushing it with a great company culture. If you think your company has a strong culture that should be highlighted, please reach out to Kendra Maples on LinkedIn or email us at culturecrushpodcast at gmail.com.